archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, yet ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key, not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Joe Schuldenrein with another episode of Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. Uh, as I was trying to review what we've been doing in the past few episodes and to sort of take a step backward and look at where the program's going, I found that one of the interesting topics uh, that we have skirted around and provided some interesting information about is this entire question of archaeology at the interface of religion and science. Now, uh, people tend to be on either side of this spectrum. Generally, there's not a lot of intersection. In most cases, people... Uh, tend to adopt a pretty strong perspective either way. And as many of you know, one of the common refrains is uh, if you want to get to know somebody and if you want to just initiate a conversation, you want to stay away from religion and politics. And uh, so we're going to look at the religion side of it. Um, and I think that what I have seen and, and I have learned, actually, over the course of this program as we talk about those more sexy topics, and one of them, of course, is the interface of religion and science, especially where it pertains to the Bible, is the entire question of how do you mobilize the evidence and how do you look at information from biblical times and provide it with a scientific cover and where do the texts start and how do they reconcile themselves with the evidence from the archaeological record? Does the archaeological record really allow you to look at the texts in a different way? And of course it does and the question is how strongly can you um, provide information that will move you in either direction of the spectrum, more science-oriented versus more religious-oriented. And the question, and the, the issue that seems to be emerging, especially as I talk to more and more people who are both experts on the topic and folks who are clear-thinking individuals who are legitimately curious about this resolution, the more I'm starting to see that there really is a kind of a fuzzy ground um, I'm not saying that, that I don't have a position on it. I, I, I clearly do, and it'll probably emerge over the course of this discussion here. Um, but, but, but the issue is that uh, as you look at the evidence, and you certainly come to grips with the fact that the biblical time frames, be they the Old Testament or the New Testament, are certainly surrounded and contextualized by uh, by the time frames and the periods and 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 the literature can't be ignored and certainly uh the background if you will to the bible especially for the later periods um beginning basically about 3000 BC and moving on say let's uh, let's say the, the last the 5000 years uh, excluding for for a moment the creation um for which uh, there there's 
another perspective that we'll talk about soon. But certainly for the past 5,000 years, the context is certainly there. And the chronologies or the sequences of events and the movement of the peoples, the biblical peoples, um, the evidence is pretty compelling uh, in terms of who they were and how they moved and uh, how they lived in many cases. And that information set gets uh, increasingly stronger as you move through time and you get towards the New Testament, which basically deals with the last 2,000 years. And there is increasingly more material evidence that provides context, if not documentation and specific uh, or, th- or specific indications of particular people. It certainly moves in the direction of trying to isolate groups of people, organizations of people, social structures certainly that to some degree conform to, uh, to a large degree actually conform to biblical description. And I think that once you get to, to that point, from that point, from the sort of the group level to the individual level, that's where the disconnect mainly, mainly comes in. And uh, as you talk about the Bible, and if you be it again, either Old Testament or New Testament, you really sort of get wrapped up in was there a Moses, was there a Jesus, and uh, those are the sorts of questions that I think you sort of have to look at from the outside moving in. In other words, look at the societies that we have evidence for at the time, and then move inward. And try to try to wrestle with the issue of leadership, and of course the, these famous individuals for whom we have effectively not that much documentation. Although last week we had a very interesting case uh, that uh, that was brought in front of us about some reasonable information that would document the uh, presence and the preservation of the bones that would have. Uh, been the surviving remnants of the person that was called Jesus, whether or not he was, it, this re- refers to the actual individual, is a very interesting case that I, I, that I thought about, and I will we'll discuss that a little bit farther on, but I think when you talk about <clears throat> all these issues, you sort of start at the beginning, and the beginning, of course, as I said earlier, is, is the creation. Now, um, there are, of course, the evolutionists, and there are the creationists, and uh, bringing these two sets of individuals is, together is obviously a very tricky issue. Now, um, human evolution, um, certainly from the perspective in which I'm grounded uh, as a researcher and as a scientist, is effectively irrefutable. Um, the evidence of uh, evolution and the laws of evolution just becomes increasingly confirmed as more discoveries are made, uh, and most recently, certainly, with respect to the human evolution and the human condition and how it evolved in a physiological sense. The evidence is becoming so compelling as time moves on that the arguments against it while they're certainly based on faith, and I think faith is, is really at the bottom line of this, the physical evidence and the information that we have at our disposal is, is providing clearer and clearer lines for evolutionary change. Chains, And even when I was a student starting back, say, 40 years ago, the filling in the gaps between um, the various species and subspecies 
along the evolutionary chain are becoming much more clear. And, and the dynamics are yet, yes, they're complicated, but certainly the general trajectory and the general direction in which this is moving is suggesting that this the Darwin's concept of survival of the fittest and, and the emergence of conditions that dictate human survival and the survival of, of uh, lower organisms uh, is very much dictated by environment mutation. And um, I think that to argue, to argue this would be, would be a very, very difficult thing to do. And I don't know where to start with that, but certainly the advent of radiocarbon dating <clears throat> is allowing us to pinpoint events in time. Um, now, as many of you may know, uh, radiocarbon dating is probably the most widespread form of dating, and it basically represents the degradation of carbon with respect to the various forms of carbon that can be measured in time as it decomposes radioactively, and it can be calibrated and it can be measured so that if we find a piece of decayed carbon next to uh, a human find uh, that is younger than 40,000 years ago, we can be pretty certain that these two events, the, uh, the, the death of, of the individual and the, decad- the degradation of the carbon, are contemporaneous. They're the same thing, and, and we have the information that puts these things together. Um, we have done this in so many places and in so many situations and under so many environments that to argue this case would be or would be a very difficult challenge. I don't think it's been done. Uh, there are people who suggest that biblical years and calendar years uh, are not necessarily the same thing, and so they try to dodge the situation. I think that way, but uh, just the general movement of knowledge and the progression of knowledge, and especially recently the acceleration of, of DNA as a marker and as, as a signature to um, to human evolution has become so strong and so compelling, I don't think we can argue that one pretty strongly um, anymore. Now, uh, we got back to this issue of faith. If you believe, if, if faith is your issue, well, then that's what drives you. So that even if you don't reconcile these two issues, there is certainly a case that someone will say, you know what? I think that, um, I think that it, it doesn't matter what the science says. I believe. And there's no arguing for that. I mean, people believe they're certainly entitled to and, and, and very, uh, respected people and people who have a scientific perspective assume this posture very, very often. And so um, I don't think that one can uh, really argue that away. It's not a question of logic. It's a question of belief, and belief is very, very strongly grounded. It can be have been initiated or uh, inspired by particular events, by your background, by your experiences. And I think that, uh, again, one can utilize lo- logic and mobilize logic to refute the case, but it, it doesn't really matter. And I see a lot of people who, uh, respectable people and, and people who I respect very greatly, who don't have any problem with this contradiction. They just believe that this is the way of the world and they re- reconcile contradiction. And, uh, they're really, if you think about it, there's no reason why any particular individual has to, um, be convinced logically or faith-based wise, and if they believe that 
these two particular perspectives can conjoin and, and converge in, in, under the same roof, that's certainly their right. And of course, if you've ever discussed these issues with folks like this, then, and, and if you are a person who assumes this perspective, you could be very comfortable with it. And I would certainly not try to dissuade anybody from adopting that general posture. I think it's, it's perfectly okay. The interesting part of it, however, I think, um, comes when you're looking at the later periods and you start to actually tackle data sets that come from a variety of different sources. For example, as you get through the past 5,000 years, which really encompasses most of the time associated with biblical chronology or the biblical sequence of events, well, your data sets become much that much greater. And you're looking not just at an archaeological record that is very, very rich, but also you're looking at literature. You're talking, you're looking at mythologies from various cultures that are written down and documented. You're looking at tablets. You're looking at monumental architecture. You're looking at remains of a variety of different types that are associated <clears throat> with city-states or polities or organizational frameworks uh, that are very uh, similar to, in many cases, are similar to the organizational frameworks that we have today because our organizational frameworks of today basically emerged from those city-states in Mesopotamia and Egypt and in China to some degree in Mesoamerica. And uh, we will talk about that and we'll talk about the archaeological database as far as it relates to um, issues of spirituality and faith and the emergence and proliferation of religious religion when we get back after these messages. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Tune in to the Hoffman Connection for inspiration, a life of passion and purpose. Hosts Raz and Grossi and Ed McLoon will bring you ways to remove the blocks in your life that are holding you back. Along with their guest experts, Raz and Ed will use their experience and expertise to help you learn to get closer to what matters to you most. And by doing so, improve your life and the lives of others. The Hoffman Connection can be heard live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We all want to be happy, but consider that conventional thinking is what got us where we are now. 
The good news is there's so much more to know that can give us a new and higher perspective. Tune in to a new view of life with host Kathy Kirk as we unlock the conversational gridlock in America by exploring new ideas and new information on every aspect of life which is needed to move us not just forward but upward. A new view of life airs live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-goarc.com. Now, back to the program. We're back, and as I indicated earlier, today's topic is looking at the interface of religion and science. And I was discussing uh, essentially that uh, the difference between looking at the various elements of religion uh, with respect to periods of time. And what I was suggesting is that uh, the entire question of creationism versus evolution. I, I'd have to say, if I were had you know, a, a gun to my head, that uh, to to be crude about it, that the arguments for evolution get are getting stronger and stronger, and the data are starting to fill in quite nicely. And even though we are making huge strides in terms of our interpretations of, of the lineages of humans, uh, the DNA evidence is starting to really, really sort out quite, quite beautifully so that we are able to track human migrations, uh, emergences, emer- the emergence of the human form in various directions with a degree of certainty and with a direction that was unknown even when I was in school. Uh, where it was still a certain amount of guesswork trying to bridge, for example, the relationship between early hominids, early early walkers, if you will, early humans, and a totally modern modern man or Homo sapiens sapiens. Uh, there was a lot of guesswork. There were a lot of dead lineages along the tree, if you will, of tree of evolution, and now that is becoming close, so so well documented that we can actually start to track the uh, the migrations of individuals of certain types and it, it it's the type of science that is is starting to sort out vividly in in one's own lifetime as professional or even as a or, or as an observer on the sidelines if if you have any perspective or interest in, interest in this uh you can see it but but i think it gets a little bit more intriguing and it, it there's a little bit more of a muddle in the middle if you will as you get into the biblical time frames of the past 5000 years and what I think we're seeing here 
is that, again, archaeology is making huge strides in uh, reconciling various sets of information that it didn't have a handle on many years ago. So that, for example, the increased discoveries of tablets and written documentation and a more refined understanding of human organization and the emergence of cities and societies and organizational frameworks of, of, uh, of, of organization as well as, as social movement and economic subsistence patterns is starting to come together in a way that we can look at the texts, I think, in a different way. And we can certainly see... Um, that, that there's a very, very strong linkage between uh, environments, contexts, and the literature that's associated with the Bible. So that, for example, there aren't any really major disparities if they're describing, for example, the natural environments of, of the biblical lands. Those seem to, to be beautifully linked up uh, with what we know. Uh, for example, if we look at um, if we look at, at uh, biblical places and try to reconcile them physically and geographically with the descriptions of the Bible, they're pretty good. And if they're not, then uh, we can actually we actually have the power scientifically to reconstruct landscapes to the point that we can date them back two, three, four thousand years ago. And let's say an area that is currently arid, which was described, uh, say, 2,000 years ago as having a certain type of vegetation cover, let's say, uh, in the biblical lands or uh, in, in, in Israel, Palestine or Jordan or places like that, if there are descriptions of olive trees in one particular area, uh, say, along the Jordan River, and you look around today and you see just barren desert, uh, you would say, well, you know, there's no really, there's really no connection here between what's described geographically or in terms of, of the vegetation and landscape of the present and what happened in the past. And because of pollen studies and ancient vegetation studies, you look and you turn around and, and you, uh, you examine the findings of people who put together these sequences of 5,000 years of ancient, of, of vegetation change. And lo and behold, you'll see that in fact, the descriptions that are presented in the Bible conform to what we are able to reconstruct um, by these various uh, specialized analyses of landscape elements and vegetation elements, they conform to what existed 2,000 years ago. And uh, so, so that the ancient historians of the Bible, the people who wrote the Bible, and notice I say the people who wrote the Bible, was very accurate. So that the context is in fact very compelling. So if you get from context and you get from environment and you you start to say oh my god this 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 was uh this was a landscape and this was an environment that is documented in the ancient text and is very very clear that it is and then you move on to events and people and that's where it gets to, to be a little bit trickier um, but again, the li literature and the texts start to converge on major events that seem to have affected, for example, the movement of peoples. And the way we get that information, again, is through the archaeological record. There's a wonderful volume that I re would recommend to everybody, and I tried to get the authors of this book on the program, but 
for the opening program, in fact, but they, they, they couldn't do it for a number of reasons. But there's a book called The Bible Unearthed by um, Israel Finkelstein and Neil Asher Silberman. And what they have done effectively is they have canvassed and surveyed biblical excavations over the past 5,000 years, and they have linked them up to the texts and have used the most refined um, archaeological science techniques and uh, more traditional archaeological methods of interpretation based on excavation and survey, and they have been able to recognize, reconcile these documents, these uh, archaeological findings, with a lot of the biblical documentation and done so in a very, very compelling way. And one of the things that they have found, and, and a lot of other scholars have found, is that over the course of time, by looking at the literature and looking at the at the assembly of the Bible itself, you will see if you look at the style in which these uh, these great works are written that they were written by different people at different points in time, and you can tell that by the stylistic changes in the presentation of the original Hebrew, which varies and uh, varies through time, and as a result of that. Um, you're getting increasingly solid evidence that the Bible itself, let's say, let's let's begin here with the five books of Moses, what they call the Torah. You will see that uh, that that this style and the sentence structure and the phrasing is not monolithic. It seems to have been written by a number of different people. And a number of different groups. In, in, in general, uh, the most recent research is, is showing that particular cults or religious sects were responsible for writing a different sect- sections of the Bible. And that has been, that finding has been increasingly confirmed by the incredible research that has been done uh, over the past uh, 60 years subsequent to the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls because the Dead Sea Scrolls represent such a broad range of biblical documentation that it is possible to decipher different styles, different approaches, different uh, different phrasing, and just a linguistic spectrum of change that uh, recounts the various events associated with the Bible. And so as a result of that, we are able to establish pretty nicely that different groups um, moved around in the biblical lands and that different scholars were responsible for writing various elements of the Bible, probably related to a very intricate religious and theological structure that was emerging and was fluid over the years during which the Bible was written. And as a result of that, uh, we're able to establish continuity at the same time as we're able, as at the same time as we're able to establish a tremendous amount of variability between the various groups that have done this, and if you look at the scrolls themselves, even to the well, I won't say to the naked eye, but to the learned eye, to some degree, you will see that the writing is different, that the use of Aramaic, for example, in in, in biblical texts has changed, the phrasing is different, the the simple um, presentation of the letters is different. And uh, we had a program, of course, on the Dead Sea Scrolls about uh, four months ago where one of the great scholars actually documented this and was able to demonstrate it. And ironically enough, this was a religious man. 
and an individual who uh, who lives by the biblical laws, and he was able to reconcile his interpretations, which clearly documented the fact that there were there were various different groups that were producing these uh, these documents that eventually became collated and assimilated into what was called, what is presently called the five books of Moses and subsequently the books of the prophets, which cover the later periods. And he, he was able he was able to really establish this with a fair fair degree of accuracy as as one of the experts on the theme. And as a result of all this, I think uh, we have to we have to really come to grips with the fact that pe- some people simply believe, and there is a uh, there is an ability within the human condition that allows one to uh, assume. Uh, Various interpretations and, and, and a certain measure of contradiction in the way one uh, views the world and, and so that a certain degree of, of, of contradiction is uh, accepted by various individuals. And I think in many ways that's a very, very positive development. I think that if you can live with contradiction, then you, you open yourself up, I think, to a variety of, of different types of perspectives that you wouldn't necessarily be open to if you assumed, say, a more extreme perspective on whatever side of the spectrum you believe in. So I come away from a lot of this with a much more open perspective and an open view. And, and since I, I actually dabble in these things more than dabble in, in them actually um, I'm starting to, to change my own perspective on this and I'm, I'm starting to look at what we can uh, conclude uh, with a more open perspective and with a more open mind and uh, in the next section I think what I'd like to talk about is what we discussed last week when we uh, when we established uh, the significance of these recent findings in Jerusalem that are claiming that uh, the individual that may have been Jesus uh, was in fact a real person whose um, whose bones were actually find, found in an ossuary in East Jerusalem, um, and and that there is a very very interesting and compelling evidence to suggest that this individual, if he was not the Jesus of myth or of, of, of reality, whichever way you want to go. It was certainly an individual uh, that was deeply revered by people of his day, an, an Israelite who was uh, deeply revered by, by, by followers, and that the evidence actually provides some interesting fodder for absolutely everybody on the religious side and of the agnostic or atheistic side of the spectrum. So we'll talk about that when we get back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Women make up more than half of the country's workforce. Companies that have women on the board generally set the pace and outperform other companies in the same industries. So why aren't we using the power of voice and choice to move ahead? Tune in to The Awe Factor, Advancing Women Everywhere 
With host Carol Cicino, you'll hear from the business and thought leaders that took chances and made a difference. Listen as they share their stories with Carol every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in every week for Sex Out Loud. Host Tristan Taramino will discuss everything from sexual pleasure to sexual politics. Get an insider's perspective from leaders in the adult film industry, the LGBT community, and the sex-positive world. From kink to non-monogamy, nothing is off-limits. Plus, you can call in to join the conversation. Sex Out Loud airs every Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you a homeowner who's trying to save on energy bills and go green at the same time? Tune into Energy Saving in the Home, brought to you by 521 Compressor Saver and Home Energy Consultants with hosts Gary Parr and Dennis Seltzer. They have saved homeowners just like you as much as 65% on energy bills through energy efficiency practices. You'll learn about conservation, products, and services to reduce energy consumption and save you money. Be sure to listen to Energy Saving in the Home, live every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-goarc.com. Now, back to the program. I was talking about uh, what we can learn and how we can reconcile um, the the Bible as literature and a document uh, with the archaeological record. And one of the the more interesting and and spectacular events, I guess, of the past uh, 10 years was the purported discovery of the tomb of Jesus or the ossuary. Which is which is a uh, a storage uh, a small storage com- uh, compartment that's carved out of limestone for the bones of Jesus, and it was discovered about well, it was actually discovered based on last week's program and and, and the documentation by James Tabor last week. It was discovered really about thirty years ago. Uh, during a salvage excavation in, in the uh, eastern part of Jerusalem in the Talpiot neighborhood um, by the Israel Antiquities Authority at the time in, in advance of a construction of a, a large condominium complex. And at the time, uh, the findings were sort of dismissed. They weren't done very extensively. It was just sort of noted and documented because the preservation law at the time was not as compelling and not as strict. And as a result of that, and and given the fact that these types of uh, Second Temple findings were not not really that unusual, uh, it was just recorded, and then they went ahead and, and built, the, uh, the, built the condominium on top of it. And subsequently, as they were moving around and designing another construction, 
in in an adjacent area, they found a similar type of context, a tomb or a sealed area, and as a result of that, with with more significant um, preservation laws, as well as the pursuit of literary sources and information, uh, another tomb was found, and uh, as a result of all of this, there was reasonable document. There was some very compelling, or in- well, let's not say compelling, shooting, shooting, uh, shooting ahead here. But there were some curious coincidences of information convergence of, of various data sets that uh, suggested that the uh, ossuary may really have contained the um, bones of an individual that was called Jesus and uh, the names associated with this particular tomb complex and the ossuaries with it uh, referred to Joseph uh, Mary and and, and Yeshua, uh, who was would have been Jesus. Now I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but uh, so so this would strike uh, an ordinary citizen as being a very interesting coincidence, until you recognize the fact. That those, those and, and of course it would be very, very provocative until you realize, and a lot of critics of, of the theory have mentioned this, that these were very, very common names at the time of the Second Temple. And uh, so that we should not be awfully surprised if a family had all three names. Well, it turns out that there was some additional information. There was a name called Yose. Jose, which, uh, which, which was a bit more rare, and it was also found in this complex. And the reference here was, was also to a Joseph. And as a result of that, <clears throat> they, uh, the, uh, the researchers actually called on the services of statisticians to assess the probability of the coincidence of all these three or four names, if I'm not mistaken here, and I'm, I'm sure uh, Jim Tabor will correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, what, are, what are the odds of, of, of all four names being in the same tomb, being belonging to the same family? And it turns out that the odds for that occurring are very, very small. And so if that's the case, then obviously something is going on here. And, and I, I would suggest that you go back and listen to the program to get all the details. I won't, won't get into it here because it's an interesting episode that I think everybody should listen to. But, but one of the other elements of all of this is that um, apparently there, it was, a, it was demonstra- demonstrable that this individual was probably um, buried two times. In other words, the bones were put away in one area, and then when they were moved to another area because of of some additional documentation that was found in association with these discoveries. And, and one of the interesting elements of that is the um, the fact that there may have been an inscription or a uh, depiction of Jonah and the whale and Jonah rising out of the whale and rising up. And this is a story that was widely utilized at that time to uh, document, not to document, but to, to, to draw an analogy with the fact that this person had risen. 
And so the symbolism didn't get lost on the people who were dis- who were doing this research. And at the very least, it signified somebody who was very, very important and had done some uh, and, and, and had actually amassed a following of people who had moved him around and had taken the time to to depict this image of an analogy with <clears throat> with with Jonah and the whale with the name Yonah. Uh, actually inscribed, and so this this becomes more provocative. But the flip side of all of this is that the actual bones were in the ossuary, and if the bones were in the ossuary, then all of a sudden you get all these religious people who are going to say, "Well, it can't be that guy. It can't be the same guy because his, there's no evidence of his bones because that's what it says." On the uh, so what you're saying seeing here is you're seeing both sides of the story that seem as if they're almost in contradiction to each other and that's certainly the impression that I got when I spoke to Jim Tabor and did the interview last week and I'm saying you know there's some very interesting elements of it the the argument that you could make certainly is this was a pretty pretty major individual that, that this is somebody who uh, apparently was uh, associated with a following um, that the remains had been moved from one place to the other. He was obviously important enough to have his bones actually uh, reinterred in a place and, and uh, moved. And further than that, I mean, the fact that the bones were there suggests that that um, this is that there's a combination here of both myth and reality that that Jesus probably was an individual who or or there was a person who had a tremendous amount of charisma and appeal and elicited a very very strong following and this guy was accorded a tremendous amount of respect and was according to a tremendous following and the fact that 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 you know people claim that he rose well Maybe his spirit did. Maybe there's a belief that his spirit did. But you have a pretty compelling argument if this is, in fact, the model for the individual that was Jesus. Well, you know what? He was a spiritual person, and the the uh, physical, tangible ef- evidence certainly suggests, and that was it. Let's not get carried away with bones, uh, with his disappearance and the bones disappearing, and that kind of metaphysical uh, spirituality or, or the, the the transformation of the body into thin air, uh, that didn't happen. And then all of a sudden it, it starts to assume a much more plausible uh, perspective. And uh, I think uh, the evidence is, is pretty compelling that there was a very, very charismatic individual that affected a tremendous amount of people and created a following that over the course of time uh, just gathered more and more steam as religious events sort of perpetuated themselves and as, as conflicts broke out and, and, and geopolitical situations changed. And as a result of that, uh, you know, it, he just assumed a much, much more significant, a much more significant aura and a much greater uh, influence over populations at times and places 
which were susceptible to these movements. And they're susceptible to these movements because of socioeconomic and geopolitical circumstances that cause people to have faith. I mean, uh, it's probably related to uh, demography. It's related to uh, economics. It's related to, again, the geopolitical reality on the ground that would make some periods of time much more likely to welcome a charismatic figure and to increase faith as, than others. And as time moves along and, and the individual assumes a much more mis, great, a much greater mystique, then that image becomes so much more bolstered and appeals to so many more people. And then you have a movement. Um, and and I, I think what I'd like to talk about after the break is, is how we reconcile these uh, particular events, people, and places with uh, the archaeology itself. Archaeology is background, the events and places as sort of human creations and mental creations that are dictated by space, time, and geopolitics. So we'll get back after these words. <laughs> Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Are you ready to change your relationships, your business, your body, and your life? You'll want to tune in to Transformation Talk Radio with host Tony Litster. It's an inspiring hour of conversation, special guests, and wisdom that has made Tony an expert with personal life experience. His down-to-earth style will give you the keys to unlock your greatest potential. Listen for Transformation Talk Radio live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Listening can truly change your life. Are you a single parent trying to create the balance between home life and work life? You may be running a successful business, but how are your relationships with your family and children? If you're one of the thousands of people trying to juggle it all, tune in to Straight Up with Chris. Real talk on business and parenthood, hosted by Chris FSU. Chris is the portrait of the success story. Coming to the U.S. with no language skills, founding and growing several businesses, while raising his daughter from age 7 to adulthood as a single dad. Listen every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Engelhart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Engelhart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.
listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-goarc.com. Now, back to the program. So I'm back, and uh, again, I was talking about our ability uh, with, with increasing knowledge to reconcile many of of the discrepancies between faith and and what archaeology tells us, and and trying to link the the holy books, if you will, which are accounts of certain period of time, which clearly was a major transition point in the human condition, the biblical periods, uh, certainly around 3000 BC, when when we're really sort of reconciling um, our history that is uh, that orthodox religious people, and I don't uh, refer to anybody in particular, but certainly in the Judeo-Christian tradition, uh, the, the past 5,700 years are the period during which uh, people who are very rigorous about their religious beliefs believe that the, the this is when the earth uh, and, and, and the world was created. And if you look at it, again, terms of archaeological periods and actually evolu- uh, p- periods in the emergence of the human condition and organizational perspectives as well, this is the period when um, city-states have stabilized, when commercial and trade networks are starting to be uh, rigorous, rigorously um, entrenched in the Middle East, which is, of course, the land of the Bible. And its I don't think any coincidence that the time scale that, that we're talking about is coincident with, uh, with the beginning of the Bronze Age, because you're looking at, for example, a major change in technology and material culture that is reflected in social organization, in political organization, in economic conditions, and ultimately in the geography of human distributions across an an area which gave rise to, to what we call civilization. And this is a major technological breakthrough. And the technological breakthrough was obviously recorded in the holy texts, and gave rise, perpetuated uh, larger populations, uh, brought about much more complex organizational institutions, the demographies change, uh, populations expanded, uh, the knowledge base increased, subsistence patterns got increasingly more complicated, uh, language started to, to spread across broader pieces, broader, uh, broader terrains, and as a result of that, we had a sort of a quantum change in in human organization, human development and 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 uh, progress if you will as a result of all of as the convergence of these so- sociological and technological developments that clearly affected um spirituality as well so spirituality was obviously entrained in all these developments and you're looking at uh 
let's call them turning points in history. And if they're associated with turning points in history, uh, so many different relationships between technology, economy, and geography occurred at the same time that the influence was felt very, very extensively, and it altered the configuration of the world or the Western world, as, as we now call it, and gave rise to the, to the growth of the Western tradition. So this is a major turning point. Now, the Bible itself picks up steam when we talk about the emergence of David, Solomon, and the kings of, of the kings of Israel and, Jude, and, and Judah, Judea. And that, not surprisingly, is coincident with another major technological development, and that would be the onset of the Iron Age around 1000 BC. And so you're starting to see, again, a major nick point or turning point in the uh, the history of Western civilization, uh, which is not to say that those 2,000 years between 3,000 B.C. and 1,000 B.C. Uh, were, were uh, fallow or un- insignificant. It's just that if if to, to make it simple, those were those were period. That was a period of incremental change. I mean, we're moving into various parts of the succession of the Bronze Age period. There are subperiods here. I'm not going to get into all the details, but it was sort of incremental change, if you will, in the demography, in the technology, in the economic organization. And then by the time you got into Iron Age, and again, this is a little bit simplistic, but nevertheless, I think it's a good marker. It's telling you that uh, the uh, proliferation of iron technology may have had a major, major significant on social organization, human organization, if you will, uh, economy, trade networking, commercialism, the movement of peoples, uh, agriculture. And uh, this, over the first time we started to get a, a dichotomy between people who are pastoralists living off the land uh, with, with herds and folks who are, are actually farming, and you're getting a differentiation of human populations, and as a result of that, the myths go with them, and the the uh, the stories, and the uh, the the history and the documentation, it moves with them because people move and they start to uh, disseminate their information, and it moves all over the world, and it's sort of like the game of telephone. The message changes as various people change, and they move into different places. And uh, certainly the texts are there, but the texts themselves get modified, as the Dead Sea Scrolls have told us uh, during a very uh, confined period in, in biblical history. The texts themselves went through some major changes, which was coincident with the emergence of specific cults. And as a result of that, there are reasons for why... Uh, these myths or stories or combination thereof, and I think there is a combination thereof, how they uh, they assume their present form, and I think it's geopolitics more than anything else that has re- that has resulted in the permutations of these stories. And with increased knowledge of the Bible and archaeology, and I'm talking about biblical literary scholarship as well as increased archaeological knowledge, we're able to put together a closer fit between what's actually happened and how these religions emerged and changed through time and how they uh, tie in to uh, how people lived and we get that that element of it through the archaeological record and through for example the structures of houses and how families lived all of which is information that we get from archaeology and is to a large degree documented 
by the background or context that's provided by the literary and biblical work. And so all this information sort of comes together, and if you look at it, it does make a tremendous amount of sense. And I think our knowledge of the Bible through scholarship, and a lot of it is biblical scholarship as well, and uh, it, to some degree it is reconciled and, and uh, if not confirmed, then certainly somewhat documented by what we're finding in archaeology and our ability to uh, to inter interpret and to expand the range of interpretation archaeologically is also increasing new, in quantum leaps as as time goes on because we have a tremendous explosion in knowledge and technology that's allowing us to make interpretations that we never could have generated years ago. So I think that there is a nexus here between faith and science and that we can start to look at this in terms of uh, bringing together knowledge. I think knowledge is really the key here, and I think in that sense I will diverge somewhat from my faith-based friends and colleagues, but I think knowledge is really the key here in trying to establish a connection between the holy books and what we're seeing in terms of the landscape as a result of, of the succession of, of, of various occupations and, and, and people in the, the lands of the Bible. And so I think... Uh, it's all moving in the right direction. I, I think that knowledge really is the key. Uh, faith is obviously something that you develop, you're born with, or you uh, are convinced of as, as you, you get older and, and, and you, you have your own experiences. But I think there is a nexus and I think there is a convergence and, and that's all for the better. And so I just uh, thank you for listening to me talk about this interesting topic. I think it's something that uh, we're going to learn much more about as a result, again, of uh, expanding our research areas in both the literary sense and in the archaeological sense. And I look forward to speaking with you next week when we're going to look at a completely different topic. Uh, in this case, we're going to deal with the Native American elements of the archaeological rec record of North America, and until that time, I wish you all the best, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye. again for tuning in to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. <laughs>